I'm live. All right, if I could get you to head back to your seats. As you return to your seats, want to make mention of st some stickers that we've put on the chairs. These stickers are for you, for you to put on your car, to put on your water bottles. I put it on the back of my iPad. I'll probably put it on my car too. But it says, be loved in love. It is what we're preaching on this morning. So it works out well that what we're preaching on is what's being placed out. We'll always have those stickers available for you. We'll probably put them on the back table um, for those of you that want to put them and place them elsewhere. Um, we always begin each year looking at the mission of our church. And that's why we have it on the chairs. That's why we have it on that big banner in the back. We want to make sure that you know what it is. This morning, though, before we get into what beloved and love is, we're going to read three passages of Scripture. Those three passages of Scripture are printed in your bulletin, and you can follow along with that. Um, three passages of Scripture, Luke 10, 25 through 28, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and then 1 John 4, 19. So if you have your bulletin, um, or if you have a Bible, you can follow along with me there. First, Luke 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lastly, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. It was nearly 20 years ago that I heard the following phrase from the Russian author Fedor Dostoevsky. Deprived of meaningful work, men and women lose their reason for existence. They go stark, raving mad. I think the phrase that Dostoevsky gives to us in relation to humanity and the raving madness that comes if you don't have existence can be applied to the church. That the church will go mad if, they don't, if it doesn't have a reason for existence, if it's not clear what the mission of the church is. Deprived of a meaningful mission, the men and the women of the church will go mad. They'll leave the church and likely never to return. As Southerners, it is so typical for us to get caught up into the cultural norm of going to church, of going through the motion, and we never even consider for one moment what is the purpose of our church? Why do we come to church? Why do we sit and worship, interact with people, go to community groups? Why? 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 And so many people have been going to church and just kind of going through the motions that when something like a pandemic hits, it kind of wakes you up to the question of why. And if the existence 
for church is never there. There's not a foundation. Guess what ends up happening? I'm done. And statistics are showing right now that a lot of people are increasingly done with church. And I think one of the reasons why is because they have no idea for, for the why of a church. What is the mission of the church? This morning, I want to make abundantly clear the mission of our church so that you cannot sit in the, the, the seats and say, why do I go to church? I simply want to address the why, not only of Central Hope, but of the church altogether. At Central Hope, the purpose or the mission of our church is right in front of you. It's on the banner. It's on your seats. It is to be loved and love. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to unpack this mission statement so that we can, with renewed vigor, press into the future, holding to the very mission that God has given to his church and to our church, that we might see a brighter future for us and for our city. We're going to look at three different aspects of this mission statement. It's foundation, it's form, and it's function. So it's foundation, it's form, and its function. First, the foundation of be loved and loved. The foundation for this statement is formed from the three texts that we read this morning. These three texts, I think, are some of the most important texts in all of the Bible. Look, you might be in the church, have been in a long time, but you might not have any way, just off the top of your head, to, to, to boil down the message of the Bible real short in an easy way. But what I love about these three texts is that in some form and fashion, they help us understand what the Bible says. It captures it all. So let's consider the first text we looked at, Luke chapter 10. Now, Luke chapter 10 is a story, this Jewish lawyer. Now, this isn't a lawyer in the sense of modern-day American constitution. You know, the, the lawyer's job is to make sure that the constitution is being held. No, a lawyer in the Jewish sense is a person who's taking what we understand as the Old Testament, and it's making sure that the Jews of that day are following according to that constitution, what we come to understand the Old Testament. And what is it that he says to Jesus? He says, what shall we do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds back to him, what is written in the law? And the man said, and Jesus says, how do you read it? So how does the man summarize all that was written in the Old Testament? If you want to understand yeah, obviously, there's a lot going on in the Old Testament. If you want to understand it, look at what this lawyer says. What does he say? You shall love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. If you want to understand what, what significant par portion of the Bible, the, the whole first part of the Bible, love. Love God and love your neighbor. As you can see, that phrase love is captured in our mission statement. But the foundation of our mission statement is not just simply rooted in love. There's a second verse, and I think this helps us understand what it means to love. And that is the second verse we're going to look at is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now, Matthew 28 is a very significant uh, verse for Christians because it is the last words that the physical Jesus spoke to his disciples before he ascended into heaven and then his Holy Spirit came down. This is what is many known called the Great Commission. The first is the Great Commandment. 
The second one is the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, Jesus makes this command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When we look closely at Jesus' great commission, we can see that he's really looking at them to do three things. Go, baptize, and teach. So when we think about this, so, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a call. There's a, you have a mission. Go. <laughs> okay. Baptize. Uh, okay. Teach. Now, how are we to understand what Jesus teaches? How do you think we understand it? We'll go right back to Luke 10. What is it that Jesus upheld? What is it that Jesus taught? Is it not the great commandment? So the Great Commission at its heart, this important passage of Scripture for all Christians, has at its heart not only to go, to baptize, but to teach the law of God, the Great Commandment, which is summarized as, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So you see at its foundation, be loved and loved, you can see this, is rooted in the Great Commandment, Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19, and the Great Commission, Matthew 28. But then there's a third text that forms the foundation of our mission statement. And it's 1 John 4:19. We love because he first loved us. I think this is so vital for you to see and for me to see and for us to embrace and for all that we're, we're looking at. In this passage, we see that our ability to do what God requires, which is love, is predicated on that God first loving us. God's love comes first. And when God's love comes first, then comes love. We love because he first loved us. And my friends, this is a great comfort to us. God loves us, and it enables us to love others. Do you know who John Wooden is? He's the, he's the UC, he was a former UCLA men's basketball coach. He, he was there for 27 years. And during that time, he won 10 national titles, including a run of seven straight from 1967 to 1973. Now, at the heart of his coaching philosophy was the pyramid of success. The pyramid was 15 different blocks that led to success. And these blocks were labeled things like self-control, cooperation, friendship, team spirit, confidence. And when his team embodied these different blocks, he de deemed that there would be success. But in all the years of his coaching philosophy, he was all constantly tinkering with the, the blocks, particularly 12 of the 15 blocks, because he always wanted things to be better. But there's one interesting thing about his pyramid of success, and that is he never changed the cornerstones of his foundation. He says, any structure must be built on a solid foundation, and the cornerstones of the foundation are the most significant part of it. And the, the, the cornerstones of my structure are industriousness and enthusiasm. His foundation for all of his success was based on industriousness and enthusiasm, and he never changed from that. And he had great success, and his teams won a lot of things. Those never changed, and it's true of our mission statement. You cannot take our phrase 
away from those three foundational scriptures that we've put before you. They will never change. They will never waver. It is a solid foundation. It is based on the great commandment, the great commission, and the great comfort. When we have that, oh, we have a solid foundation from which we can build upon. So be loved and loved, the foundation, on those three key texts. Let's now turn our attention to studying the form of be loved and loved. We've established the foundation. Now let's, let's think of the form, be loved and loved. Indeed, the form of this statement is so vitally important. Now, there's only one family that, that was part of this story, but um, they probably remember it, maybe not as well as I do, but the Irbys were with me right when we got started. So when we got started, this church just didn't, we didn't start just having worship services. No, we gathered people together. We studied the gospel. We looked at the text that we just looked at, and we had conversations about a mission statement that's clear and, and all this stuff. And so we spent a lot of time talking about those texts, and we spent a lot of time, how in the world can we make a phrase that's repeatable and memorable? And most of us in the room agreed that the phrase, love and be loved, should be the phrase that we embrace. It's a phrase that rolls off the tongue. It's a phrase that many of us know. And so for the first four years of this church, love and be loved was the mission statement. There's a problem. Every time I went to explain the mission statement to people, it's love and be loved, I found myself saying, but you got to be loved first. And I had to do this like gymnastics trying to explain be loved coming before love because of what 1 John 4.19 says. We love because he first loved us. And then someone says, why don't you change it? We, 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 we're talking with some people that helped us think through messaging. And they said, why don't you just change it to be loved and love? And I was like, because love and be loved is what we come up with. It rolls off the tongue. And then when K Jewelers came out with their Love and Be Loved campaign last Christmas, we're like, yeah, good thing we're getting out of that. <laughs> I'm joking. No, be loved always comes before love. The reason why I spent so much time explaining the form of be loved before love and, and why I was having to do all these gymnastics is because at the heart of people's understanding of the Christian faith, so many people think, that in order for God to love you, you need to order your life in, in regards to God's love and law. So, so my, God's going to love me if I do for him what he wants me to do. So if I love God, he's going to love me. So the very form that was previously had, love and be loved, was actually accomplishing the opposite of what I was hoping to accomplish, which is be loved and then love. It's the form that 1 John 4.19 gives to us. Look, the church is full of problems, lots of them. But of all the problems that exist in the church, I think the greatest of them is that people believe that if you love, you will be loved. We must get away from this. We must embrace being loved first and then loving in regards to that. How many of you have felt desperate feelings for the wrong things you've done? You think, God will not love me. I'm a lost cause. And you think, I have to clean my life up. Think not this way. Simply come to Jesus as you are in all the mess that is your life. Come to him. Receive from him the love that he has for you. And then go 
love. This is true Christianity. And it is the first and most important step in our mission. Our form, being loved, is so primary. So we've looked at the foundation. We've looked at the form. Let's now look at the function of be loved and loved. Now next week, I want you to know this. I'm going to spend the vast majority of the time on the function of loving God and loving neighbor. But this morning, we're going to look at the function of being loved. What does it mean for you and I to walk through being loved? I, many of you have, have this idea in your mind that you, you love love. Love is an endearing term by, by most of us. I mean, we'll whisper it into our children's ears. We'll whisper it into the, to, to the ears of our loved ones. We write it to, in letters to our dearest friends. But so many people have a difficult time pinning down what love truly is. Biblically speaking, one of the simplest ways to understand love is to understand it as a process of meeting needs. So what does it mean when we say that God first loved us? It means that he met our needs. That God himself paid for our penalty of sin through the death of Jesus. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. See, Jesus was given for us. He's a gift. So being loved in simplest of statements is a process of meeting needs. So in understanding this, there's three different components that in response to the process of meeting needs that I think is so vitally for us as we practice and this, func this function of being loved. First, it's knowing our needs. If you're going to be loved, you need to know your needs. Now, this is so much more difficult than you might think. You can think that you have your needs figured out. But here's the thing. So many of us are deceived in our life. And if you were deceived, you won't know what you need. And so knowing your needs can be a complex reality. I mean, we can look at the Word of God, and the Word of God can reveal to us what our needs are. And that is a good step, knowing your needs through reading God's Word. But sometimes we can walk in deception, and that's why we need to know our needs. And one of the ways that we can know our needs is in community, that we do life together, that, that we, we expose ourselves to the ways that we live our life. I have a confession. I, I got some Christmas money, and I wanted to spend some Christmas money and uh, flippantly spend some Christmas money. And you know what Kimber says? It's, it's concerning to me that you're spending this money this way. It's concerning. I'm like, what's concerning to you? What do you mean? Like, he's just willing to flippantly spend it, not even think about it. I'm like, dang it. She is absolutely right. I had to be with her and be around her for her to expose the way that I've been deceived. Yeah, it is troubling that I can just get into this consumeristic mindset and just think that these consumer goods are going to make me feel better. And I just got to have it right now. And there's no forethought. I have to be in relationship with you. She helped me understand my need that consumer goods aren't going to be the thing that satisfies my heart. So knowing your needs requires you being in, in, in community. It, it, it's required you to, to put yourself out there. And of course, that's not easy. Now, classically speaking, when I think of knowing your needs, there's a couple different categories that I want you to kind of understand. We have physical needs. Each of us have physical needs. At the turn of the year, new year, a lot of us are looking at the, the scale and we're like, oof. I got some needs, and I need to, I need to hit the gym. So we, we renew our gym membership that we never use. Um, 
We buy equipment, Jerry. We buy equipment. If you just need a good salesman, Jerry's your guy. Um, <laughs> physical needs, food, shelter. We all have physical needs. A lot of us have, all of us have emotional needs, the need to be secure, the need to feel like we're in control. There are so many emotional needs that we have. And then we have spiritual needs. I mean, knowing our needs, whether physical, emotional, spiritual, there's so many different aspects of it. But if you don't know your needs, I'm going to say this. If you don't know your needs, then your needs can't be met. And if your needs aren't met, then you're not experiencing love. And if you're not experiencing love, you're not loving. Because we love because he first loved us. So being loved begins with knowing your needs. And it takes some wisdom and it takes some understanding to understand these things. But secondly, not only is it knowing your needs, being loved requires sharing your needs. And there's two ways that we can share our needs. One, we need to share our needs with God. For those of you that consider yourselves to be Christians, you can recall the moment in your life when the need for a Savior hits you. you, You can vividly recall, I am a sinner, and God, a holy God, he's going to come down hard on me, and rightly so. Not in this kind of bad way, but it's not good. We know that we have a need before a holy God to be forgiven, and so we pour ourselves out. We share our needs with God, and he, in his mercy and grace, meets our need. He forgives our sins because of Jesus. You've got to share your needs in order for your needs to be met. And do this with God. The Psalms are filled with the sharing of needs with God. The Psalms is a great model for us to follow in the steps of biblical people sharing our needs with God. But not only do we need to share our needs with God, we need to share our needs with one another. And sharing our needs with one another is not easily done. Sharing needs requires trust. Can you trust your needs with others? Can you allow them to bear your burden? Uh, I, I say this quote in our membership class, but it comes from Dorothy Day. The church is a harlot, but she's my mother. I think one of the biggest challenges with sharing our needs with one another is that the church can be the cause of a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. The church itself can be the source of a lot of distrust. Some of you have listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, and you listen to the stories of a church that grew really large and then fell flat. And there's a lot of horror stories. And some of you might can relate to those horror stories, maybe not from Mars Hill, but from the church experiences that you've been through. And what it does is it causes you to distrust church once again. But we must remember what Dorothy Day says. Hey, the church is a harlot, but she's our mother. We got to go home, and we need one another, and we need to forgive, and we need to repent, because forgiveness and repentance is how trust is fostered. And indeed, when trust is fostered, then you're able to share your needs with one another. I think as I think through this church, and as I look at the way that you interact with one another, we're not a perfect church. Of course, we're not a perfect church. But I am blessed when I see people sharing their needs with one another, loving one another, meeting the needs that are shared, when community is being fostered with one another, when you help one another move, 
This to me is a sign that there is trust with each other. That the ability to share their needs with one another is possible. And it's a beautiful thing. Continue in this ways. You know, continue going to dinner with one another because laughing and eating with one another fosters trust. Attend the community groups that we have. This just fosters trust with one another. When you're invited to go to different events, go to them. It fosters trust. You will never trust one another if you don't know one, one another. If you, you will never trust someone you don't laugh with. You'll never trust someone you don't eat with. So continue to do these things that you are already doing. This is how we are loved. We share needs with one another. Lastly, being loved requires giving thanks. Not just knowing your needs, sharing your needs. It requires giving thanks. Do you know what happens to you and me when a need that we don't know or we know is met? What bubbles up into our heart? Thanksgiving. It is natural to us. When a need that we have is met, thanksgiving bubbles up, and it is a telltale sign that we have been loved. So we as a church need to give thanks. And we do each and every Sunday. We give thanks to God for who he is and what it is he has done. We sing to him. We pray to him. We cling to him. We give thanks to him. But we also give thanks to others. We write notes to one another. We, we verbally thank them for who they are and what it is they have done for us. It's a telltale sign that we've been loved when we give thanks. So this morning, we have been looking at this mission statement, be loved and loved. We've looked at the foundation of how it's rooted in three of the most important passages of Scripture, the great commandment, the great commission, and the great comfort. We've been looking at how this mission statement has its particular form, that being loved precedes loving, that being loved by God is the very thing that enables us to love God. And we've looked at the function of it, how we are called to know our needs, to share our needs, and to give thanks. My friends, when we do these things, we will have a purpose, and we won't go mad. No, we'll do exactly what our Savior has called us to do, which is to be loved and loved. Let us follow his words and be a church that is on mission. Let me pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you so much that you have not left us wondering what it is we as a church are called to do. It's right in front of us. It's clear as day from Scripture, but it's not so easily practiced. And so I ask that as we take hold of this mission that you've given to us, to be loved and loved, that you would give us humble hearts, not prideful ones, that you would waken us out of the deception of our hearts, that we might take hold of the very mission that you've give, given to us, that we might thrive as a church and bring glory to your name. I pray that you would do this and continue to do this as you have. In Jesus' name, amen.